Has there ever been a point where you've said, God, I don't know what to do about my marriage anymore. God, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this debt. And you know, today is, is Father's Day and, and happy Father's Day to all our fathers out there. And, and while it's a day where we certainly celebrate the father figures in our lives, there are also many of us where the thought of our fathers brings back negative memories or we're remembering them rather than celebrating physically with them. Or maybe you're a father and, and you can't see your kids today. Or maybe you can't have kids. We can say, God, I, I feel lost. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. And there are times when I don't know what to do. There are times when there's nothing I can do. God, I didn't see this pandemic coming and it's thrown my life into chaos. God, my heart aches for the division in our world and the injustices that our brothers and sisters of color endure day after day after day. God, I don't know what to do. My friends, we are living in a, in a difficult time, a unique period of time, a pandemic, civil unrest. The world and our lives have been in upheaval. And I don't know about you, but my heart has been heavy lately. My heart has been hurting. Have you ever had these conversations with God? Or maybe you're here with us and, and you're just new to this whole Christian thing or just exploring faith and, and what it is. And we just want to say, welcome here. We're so glad that you're here and we'd love to connect with you. But you too have likely struggled with some of these same things. A question we've all been asking is what do we do when there's nothing we can do? When it is what it is and while we don't particularly like what is, like right now, right? For some of you, you haven't been able to graduate publicly. For some of you, you've lost your income. For some of you, you've lost opportunities that, hey, they aren't coming back. You were planning to retire, but you've had to put that off now and maybe you're not sure if you'll ever be able to retire. Or maybe you've turned on the news lately or you've been on Facebook and it's just rife with debates and opinions about what's happening right now in not just the US, but now all over the world in our own country. And you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say. You've been feeling a range of emotions while things can just seem hopeless. But isn't it true that during this time we've all been confronted with our sinister selves? You know, that, that stuff that is, that is within us that, that we didn't know was there or, or didn't know that was that bad, right? And now we're confronted with it. Like as an example, you know, the stuff that has come out when homeschooling your kids. Now, let me tell you, from a former kid myself, I do sympathize with you parents that are homeschooling your children. And you know who else sympathizes with you, right? Ben. Yes, Ben. You see, Ben, Ben was being homeschooled for the very first time. And you see, during a break, Ben wrote a note that I'd like to share with you today. And, and this Ben isn't to be confused with my 30-year-old brother, Ben, even though their writing kind of looks the same. But this is what it says. It says, it is not going good. It is, it is not going good. My mom's getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out. And I am telling you, it is not going good. That might've been your experience with the homeschooling during this time. We could all use a bit of laughter, hey? 
but I don't want to skirt around what we're going through as a nation, as neighbors to our brothers and sisters to the South. You see, racial injustice has been present for, for hundreds of years, and it exists today. It takes many forms, and while we're not always aware of it or its frequency, it is here. Systemic racism exists. It is real, and my friends, black lives do matter. You see, there is unity in our diversity. There is unity in our diversity. And this is a unity that the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Galatians in the Bible. It's a unity with a diversity of genders, a diversity of social backgrounds, and a diversity of ethnicities. This is so, so important because in our society, you see, there is still sexism. There is still elitism and there is still racism. Now, I'm generally a very optimistic person, and I, and I try and assume the best in people and in our humanity. But as, as we've all seen George Floyd on the ground, pleading for his life, saying, I can't breathe, with a knee on his neck for eight minutes, it made me realize, yet again, that racism is not dead. And my heart my heart breaks for our brothers and sisters of color, our indigenous brothers and sisters who fear not for only their own lives, but for the lives of their children and their children's children. You see, this is a massive, massive issue. And, and we, the church, we have to set the example to the world. There's no easy answer to this and there's no easy response. And I know that this is a sensitive topic. And I just want to say, if you're offended by what I say today, I want to ask your forgiveness in advance. It's not my intention to cause offense, but I'm aware that in this area, there's a difficulty of language and emotions can often run high. I'm not here to criticize any one group, any particular person, any political party. That's not my goal here. My goal is primarily to point a way forward for us, for our community. You see, Jesus, man, Jesus, Jesus repeatedly liberated and he affirmed women and he treated men and women as equals. Women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And they were the first to be entrusted with the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. So my sisters, do not let your gender disqualify you. And regarding social diversity, there is neither slave or free. You see, humanity has always separated each other by class and by division. But in Jesus, snobbery is not allowed. Barriers by class and, and by social division are removed by him. You see, while Paul, Paul was an educated man who wrote nearly half the New Testament, and he was chosen by Jesus. But you see, Jesus also chose Peter. He chose a fisherman an uneducated man to be the rock on whom Jesus built the church. So my friends, we need Paul's, but we also need Peter's. And when it comes to racial division and the tensions that we're experiencing right now, we need to understand that our skin color, our language, where we are born should not separate us, rather it should unify us. And why, why, why should it? Because we are all created equal by God. This is not an issue of political correctness. This isn't just for good PR. This is a justice issue. This is a theological issue. This is a Jesus issue. And just in case you were wondering, 
Heaven is going to be a gloriously diverse place. It is going to be a place of a magnificent unity. And this is the image of heaven that we get from the Bible in the book of Revelation. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. You see, my friends, distinction is not eliminated. It is celebrated in heaven. And take a look at this. You see, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians. And Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection, he broke down every dividing wall of hostility. And he made us one in Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, is so that the church would reflect the manifold wisdom of God, right? The church would reflect the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold, it appears once in the New Testament, Paul the Poikilos, and it, and it also appears in the Old Testament. And it's used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. It is the beauty of diversity. And the church is meant to reflect the manifold wisdom of God. This richly ornamented robe with, with huge diversity. And well, this is my dream. I think this is our dream. This is why Circle is such a welcoming place for, for people in our city that, that don't do church, that come from diverse backgrounds and diverse circumstances. And it's what made me fall in love with this place as a 13-year-old boy. My friends, when we have this dream, it changes how we act, doesn't it? It changes how we treat our brothers and our sisters. You see, our church is going to continue to be so ethnically diverse and, and so beautiful, so representative of this nation that people are going to say, wow, I want to be a part of that. I am attracted to the church and through the church, right? Because the church represents Jesus through the church. I am attracted to Jesus. And through that, my friends, we will see the evangelization of this nation, the revitalization of the church, not just our local church, but the church across the country and the transformation of their society. Now you might say, John, that sounds great. Hey, I'm on board, count me in. But I still don't know what to do right now. Where is God? What do I do when I, when I don't know what to do? And you see, when we're faced with that question, whether it's about racial injustice or issues that you may be having at home with your spouse, with your family, with your, with your finances, we can often be tempted to either run abandon, to quit, to just give up or give in. Now, last week, Pastor Austin talked about one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, the idea that we all experience adversity. And it's important for us to remember that the New Testament authors, you see, they weren't strangers to the circumstances we are facing right now. And Apostle Paul is really the best example for us in a time such as this. You know, Paul, he had an affliction that he describes as painful, as humiliating, as, as debilitating and permanent. And we aren't told exactly what that affliction is. And Austin gets into that last week uh, in our previous uh, sermon. I highly recommend watching that. We aren't told what that affliction is, but it clearly had a tremendous impact on Paul. Yet he claimed God's grace and his power for was sufficient. 
And he goes so far to say that we can find contentment in any time. You see, the problem with discontentment is that it can drive us towards self-destructive decisions and regrets. Discontentment can be quite dangerous. Now you might be thinking, John, are you suggesting that during times of crisis, during unrest, during upheaval, that we ought to be content? Now I get how that might sound if your view of contentment is this, right? Everything is fine. If this is what comes to your mind when I say contentment, right? There's, you know, there's fire all around us and you got this potato looking dog over here just saying, this is fine. No, we don't have to do anything during a crisis. I want to encourage you, if this is your view of contentment right here, summed up in this meme, I want to ask that you would reconsider today. But just keep tracking with me for a moment. You see, Paul, Paul was a non-Christian Jew. Uh, this is the Paul who, who kept the law perfectly while despising Gentiles and, and torturing Christians. And then he met Jesus and everything changes. And he goes from this violent law-keeping Pharisee to a Jesus follower in one day. Because no one better than him understood the stark contrast between what had come before and the kingdom that Jesus had come to introduce. He embraced Christ and was called by God to take the message of Christ to non-Jewish people throughout the world. But you see, 10 years into this mission, he gets arrested and he gets sent to Rome for a trial. And it seemed that Rome had won and God had lost. And for us, we might say, oh no, my life, my work, it's all over. It's done. I'm finished. But from Rome, Paul writes these letters to encourage the church. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These letters are rich writings. And in times that would often invoke anxiousness, fear, despair, anger, and hopelessness, Paul praises God and he gives thanks to him. And he writes letters to encourage the growing church. And I'm not sure if he knew at the time of writing these letters that they would shape the world. I mean, what are the odds that a first century letter from a prison cell would shape our world? Now, one of those letters, Philippians, is written in response to receiving a care package with money from the church in Philippi. And, and this is what it says. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Wouldn't you like to learn that? Not saying, hey, I'm happy about my circumstances. Not saying, hey, I wouldn't change them if I could. What does this mean to be content? To be content in this way means I've learned to be self-sufficient in the sense of being able to resist the forces and pressures and temptations brought on by circumstances. Something inside will dictate my response to what's going on outside. And Paul, Paul continues in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I haven't, and this is, this is important here. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, isn't that incredible? Now, the word secret there is a different Greek term here, and it's only used once in the New Testament. Here, secret is a term used to describe 
the secret initiations into cult religions. So Paul is saying, look, I've been initiated into the cult of contentment. John, where are you going here? You're talking about cults now, what is happening? Keep tracking, friends. What happens next is Paul tells us the secret. He tells us the how. And he does it in one of the most famous statements in all of Christianity. But before we get there, before we get to that, you see, Paul was one of the most influential people in the world. And between 33 AD and and the production of the printing press in 1450, really no one had more influence on the world than Paul. And I just want to say, whether you're a Christian or not, and and you're watching this, Paul has had an influence on you. And do you know what made him so influential? Well, it's what he wrote, and it's what he endured. Think of what hung in the balance of his willingness to endure hardships, right? Divinely important hardships, the church. His response to adversity gave him and it gave his message credibility. And it was from that vantage point that he impacted the world. You see, Paul tells us the secret. He tells us the mystery in one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. And you're probably saying, John, just spill it. Tell us, what is it? I can do all this. Now, other translations say all things. He's saying, look, I have the power. I have the personal resources required to endure and press on anyway through prison, through abandonment, through fear, through anxiousness, through persecution, through injustices, through disease, through whatever it is, you name it. But this next part is absolutely crucial. I can do all this through him. And later manuscripts had Christ written there through him. Who gives me strength? I can do all this through him who gives me strength, who gives me his strength. The extraordinary quality of the strength that we seek and that we need belongs to God and not to us. I mean, wow. Here's Paul's point through all of this. He's saying, I can't. Look, I've reached the end of my reserves. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. And he's saying, he can. You see, Jesus didn't opt out of the tension. In fact, he he went towards it. He went to the cross on my behalf. He went to the cross on your behalf. And Paul says, he can through me. While Paul, Paul is saying, look, I've learned to rely on his strength in me. My friends, this text right here is is so rich and there is power in this. These are the words of a man faced with death, faced with persecution, faced with a debilitating affliction, faced with innumerable trials and tribulations. All for what? Why? Why all of this? Because a tomb was empty and the tomb that Jesus was in remains empty today. So why learn the secret of contentment? Because the opposite of contentment, discontentment, can drive us towards self-destructive decisions and regrets. It doesn't move us forward, but it brings us backwards. When we think we can rely on our own devices and our own power and strength, yes, even to fight the good fight and stand up for injustices, we can fall short. And we can often know what to do or what to say or where to go from here. But contentment See, contentment does move us forward. 
And it's not saying, it's not simply saying, be happy where you are. It's not saying, enjoy this pandemic. It's not saying, do not stand up. It's not saying, do not raise your collective voice at the systemic oppression of people of color. It is God saying, rely on me. Rely on me. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to learn the secret of contentment. Would you say this out loud with me? Teach me the mystery of Christ in me. Teach me the mystery of Christ in me. When we are faced with adversity, when we are in a time such as this, and, and it feels like the world is in upheaval, when we don't know what to do or, or what to say, would you rely on him? Because Christ is in you. He's empowering you. And when we learn contentment, when we learn the mystery of Christ in us, we have the power. We have the opportunity to help bring the transformative power of the Holy Spirit by demonstrating Christ in us to the people that we meet. The people that have differing views. And yeah, even the people that oppress us. The people that create our laws and our, and our legislation the people that will create meaningful reform. One of the biggest questions coming out of our times such as this and the, and the Black Lives Matter movement is, will things really change? Will they really change this time? I'm inclined to say that, look, on our own devices, probably not. But through Christ in us, I believe that anything is possible. And I believe that if followers of Jesus demonstrate contentment, like Paul did, we can have the confidence that God will show us the right thing to do. God will give us the right things to say. And God will show us how to love, how to grieve, and how to care for our brothers and sisters of color. But you might be asking, how do I know what God is saying to me? What is he, what is he telling me to do right now? And let me tell you, that's something I've struggled with for years and for years. And it wasn't until I engaged in mentoring that I learned how God was speaking to me. Now, let me tell you, that year and a half of mentoring had been the most transformative period in my spiritual journey. I know that when we mention mentoring, sometimes, you know, all sorts of ideas come up. Oh, it's, it seems like counseling and, and I don't need that. I don't want that. Or it seems like it's, it's for people that need fixing. And well, I don't agree or I don't want people thinking that there's something wrong with me. There's a million things to think about when it comes to mentoring. And there's a million reasons to say no to it. But my friends, mentoring is not that. When we talk about mentoring here at Circle, the goal is to always care. It's not to cure you. You are not a disease. You are a human being loved by God and you are created in his image. And you need someone to walk alongside you. In all things, I love this phrase. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, do it together. Do it with someone else. And my hope is that as we all grapple with what to do or what to say, when we feel like there's nothing we can do or say, that we would learn the secret of contentment, the secret of, of trusting and knowing that Christ is in you, empowering you. If you're not being mentored right now, can, can you please reach out to us? This isn't a commitment. This isn't to rope you into anything that you don't want to do. But I'd love to speak with you. Our staff would love to speak with you. 
And we would love to explore what mentoring might look like for you. Look, if I told you that you could experience life transformation through mentorship, a transformation in you that can help bring about transformation in others in your circles, wouldn't you want to experience that? Wouldn't you want to be a part of the solution in our society and offer our secular culture a radically beautiful alternative? Would you reach out to us? My friends, I want to pray for you today. And I just want you to think about your source of discontentment. It may be family-related. It may be your finances. It may be the racial tension in our world. And your heart may be heavy. I want you to think of that. And I want you to say this with me. I can't. But he can. And he will through me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. And God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our brothers and our sisters to the South. We pray for all of humanity across this globe. God, you have uniquely and you've wonderfully made each of us. God, as we grapple with what to do and, and, and what to say, when we feel like there's nothing we can do or say, may we be reminded about Paul's example of contentment. May we be reminded of that in all of our circumstances and all of our situations. May we be reminded that in our fears and in our anguish, that we can't. No, we can't. But you can. And you will through us. God, would you heal your people? Would you heal this divide? Would we come to know you more so that others may come to know you more? We commit this time we are in into your hands and may your grace and your mercy overflow into this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.